Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast Podcast. Nailed it. I'm Liz Loza and today I am joined by Neil Dutton from Rotoviz Number Fire 4 for 4 Football and Roto Underworld. Thank you so much for being with us today, Neil. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Liz. I mean, I feel slightly sorry and I do apologize for the obvious short straw that you must have drawn this week because Scott Pianowski got to speak to Adam Levitan. Andy got to speak to Dave Klug, Matt Harmon got Sigmund Bloom, and you got me. So I can only apologize for the ridiculous hand you've been dealt here. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I listened to Andy and Dave Kluge speaking, and Dave Kluge made me feel like I was back home with his rather thick Chicago accent, but none of them get to hear a gorgeous British accent like I do. This is such a treat to those of us on our side of the pond. Um, Can you please tell everyone where you live, where you're from, and what the fantasy sports landscape is like over there? Well, I come from a uh, small fishing village called Liverpool uh, that people may have heard of. And there was, apparently there was these four guys who did some music or something back in the 60s, um, the Bootles or something, I'm not sure. Liverpool is, fa- is is famous for its its music. It's also also famous for two of our football teams, one of which are called Liverpool and the other is called Everton. But just to be contrary, um, I don't support either of them. I support a well, I say a support. I suffer a team called Sheffield Wednesday, which sounds like a bank holiday, but is actually a team that has ruined my life for thirty years. Um, so the fantasy. Um, lens that we play through here we play it quite different it's almost like we play weekly dfs if you will when our in our fantasy leagues in the sense that you know you have your budget you pick your team and in the leagues you're in everyone could in theory have the same players i've been in leagues where people have been leading the league going into the final weeks of the season and they've made just enough transfers and changes to their lineup that they have the same team as the team in second place so the team in second place can't overtake them. Oh. Well, so that is an interesting twist. It, it's it's a wonderfully, you know, obstructionist behaviour. And people like um, my illustrious co-host on my podcast, who I know mm-hmm. you, uh, you, you've, you've spoken to in the past as well, he enjoys that type of thing because he likes to annoy people when it comes to sport. And he finds that's the best way to do it. Well, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um so you you obviously have your soccer slash football teams, but you also have your NFL teams. You're wearing a Chargers jersey right now, but I know that that is the not the number one team that you support. Nor is I believe you also don't support as your number one team the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is usually the UK fans' first NFL squad. No, no, that is correct. I mean, we are contractually obliged to be interested in the Jaguars <laughs> when they do play here, and you know. All the all the news channels we have over here will make a huge fuss about it, even though that they don't seem to realise that those of us who've watched the game for a certain length of time know that they suck, so that we're not going to bother. No, um, the team I inherited uh, for your sport was the Philadelphia Eagles, and that was because I was watching games with my friends because they never came out on a Sunday and I had no one to drink with, so I drank at their house. Mm. Uh, and one of them said, you should probably have your own team. It will help you get into this game more. Why don't you support the Philadelphia Eagles? 
Now, Mainzy, I say my illustrious co-host, thinks yeah, he said Paul. that because, yeah, Paul, he thinks he said that because he couldn't pronounce Cincinnati, which if he'd given me the Bengals, I probably wouldn't be a fan of the game anymore. Whereas he gave me the Eagles and I've been, you know, I've seen them go to six championship games and win a Super Bowl. While the friend who suggested the team to me is a Jets fan and they can't have nice things. No, no, not at all. That is an interesting so of the, it's interesting though that the teams that you have learned about the NFL through the Jaguars, the Jets, the Eagles, and the Bengals, neither of whom, none, none of those squads are like easy, easy to root for, easy to be a fan of. I guess I should say. No, it's it's character building to support yeah. teams that that don't win. I mean, what do you find out about yourself if you're a Patriots fan or a Chiefs fan? You, you, you've just coasted all these years whereas i've known serious pain well as if living in liverpool isn't enough character building you've well, also yeah. chosen to do this <laughs> and i can only say that because i've lived across the pond for a, a little bit of time let's get to this week's show though because we have a lot to cover you and i were in Zapatago when this topic came up before we get to it we're going to preview a position but before we do there's some news let's start with the 49ers Offensive tackle Trent Williams had his knee drained, and he's going to be out at least a week. We don't like to see this. Um, Injuries, especially those which shore up the trenches to a team that is expecting to, we assume, run a lot this season. Um, Not great. Do you think this is going to turn into a bigger issue for the 49ers? I would hope not for their sake. I mean, it's never a good sign of someone getting injured this early. And speaking as a knee sufferer, uh, having it drained, A, sounds delightful. Um, B, sounds bloody painful, to be honest. Now, obviously, I'm not a professional, highly tuned athlete. Well, some might say I am. They're idiots. But anyway, um, the 49ers, the, the offensive line, the way that they've built it this year, it's to be a bully, but also it's to be an athletic bully, which is probably the worst kind of bully you can have because if you try and run away from them, they'll run after you. Um, But if it's just a short-term thing and it's a maintenance thing and he can get over it, then it should be fine. Because, as I say, the schedule the 49ers have this year looks ridiculous. So they're going to have a lot of game script. They're going to want to run the ball anyway, but potentially they could have so many more running opportunities. So they're going to want that line firing whichever of the quarterbacks they have. But you think if it is going to be an issue with protection and maybe not being able to keep their quarterback upright... Does that accelerate the Trey Lance era coming in now that Jimmy is, bless him, a statue? Well, it is interesting you mentioned the 49ers schedule because I was having this debate with Chris Harris, who's also a friend of the podcast yesterday, and the opening of the 49ers schedule is pretty soft. I mean, they open at Detroit, then, no disrespect, at the Eagles, then um, they host the Packers, host the Seahawks, host the 49ers, and then... They have a bye before coming back in week seven, which happens to be October 24th, a week ahead of the trade deadline and hosting the Colts. Now, if I am looking at those defenses to start with, and I am thinking that maybe I want to give Jimmy some advantage, especially if I'm noting his statue-like status and a potentially dinged-up offensive line, maybe I throw him some of these easier matchups so I can make him a viable trade piece before Trey takes over officially? It's certainly a thought. I mean, I think that what you've seen from the 49ers and what they've spoke about is Trey Lance will play when he is ready. Now, whether Kyle Shanahan thinks he's ready in week one, in week four, in week seven, in 2022, we don't know. But I don't, this, it could be similar to what the Dolphins did with Tua in that yeah. they thought he's good to go now, so we'll put him in even though we're winning. I wouldn't put it past them to say, well, okay, Jimmy, um, you've got us here. So thanks very much for that. Um, Yeah, you need to go uh, and go to Oakland or or Las Vegas or somewhere better. So thanks for getting us here. We'll find our own way back. Thanks for everything. Off you pop. I just think it's a really, I mean, Charles Robinson mentioned this on You Pod to Win the Game, which is the NFL, the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast. And I would urge everyone to go and subscribe to that as well. And he's our NFL insider. And he reminded listeners of the fact that Jimmy G remains a, a valuable trade piece for San Francisco. And I spoke to Jimmy 
what, I think three days after the NFL draft. And we talked about the fact that he texted Trey Lance immediately and that Kyle spoke with him and said, this is the direction we're going, but you are the starter. I know that everyone's excited about the 80 plus yard uh, pass that Lance threw in the preseason. And, you know, Andy Barons has said many times and astutely that players who are drafted, particularly quarterbacks who are drafted in 2021 at the three spot overall will play this year. They're going to play immediately. I just feel like we are maybe expecting to see Lance a little bit too soon. And if that O-line is banged up, I don't know. I might, I might want to give Jimmy some opportunities before it becomes absolutely dire because we know that Lance has the wheels to evade pressure in a way that he doesn't. Yeah. I say, if it's going to be a problem, let the older guy take the pound. It's it's what I do. You know, the say, right. Jimmy, just till Trent gets back, Jimmy, this is your gig. But then once we're at full strength, off you pop. There we go. All right. Speaking of off your pop, something I say all the time, Bruce Arian said that Gio Bernard is going to be a, quote, major part of the offense in Tampa Bay. When I initially read this and after seeing Bernard's involvement in week one of the preseason, I thought about all of the immediate, rather simplistic, knee-jerk hot takes about Keyshawn Vaughn coming out of last year's NFL draft. Remember, he was supposed to be it because Bruce Arian said something you know, casually about wanting a pass-catching running back. And everyone was like, oh, Keyshawn Vaughn, he's the guy. And I was like, do you really think a kid had – have you watched – I mean, I have not watched a ton of Vanderbilt tape, but there's a reason for that. And also, I don't think this kid is good enough to be who we are thinking he could be. And then, you know, lo and behold, Leonard Fournette comes over. Ronald Jones is still there. Now we've got Gio Bernard – Trusting Ronald Jones's hands and or Leonard Fournette's for that matter has not been um, something people should do. It's not it's not a wise venture. Um, so what does this do for you, if anything, in terms of evaluating Tampa Bay's backfield? It makes it one of those places, like there's many nightclubs and pubs in Liverpool that I don't want a part of. There's two decent runners in Jones and Fournette, neither of whom are great pass catches. Fournette once had, what was it, an 88-catch season. That was because there was no one else to catch it. They're both abysmal in pass protection, which I'm sure having a 44-year-old quarterback, you might want him to stay upright. Gio Bernard, it's, I was going to say, it's like a poor man's James White, and that, what a hideous vision that conjured up, actually. Um, I think it's just basically that they're going to split the running work between Jones, Fournette, it depends what season we play in because the regular season last year, Ronald Jones was better. The postseason, Leonard Fournette was better. So if they can somehow get those two to mesh, then that's a nice problem that no fantasy manager really wants a part of. And they're going to have Geo come in and catch the pass, protect uh, Tom Brady on third downs. But I don't think it makes any of the three any less an option than I would want because I don't think I wanted any of them anyway. I mean, I feel like Geo could potentially at times, uh, based on injuries and buy schedules, some value in PPR leagues. But again, the pass-catching options are ri ridiculously plentiful in Tampa Bay. I mean, as long as Antonio Brown stops throwing punches and maybe chills out a little bit, we're expecting that there's going to be plenty of receivers for Tom Brady to choose from. And I have both Fournette and Ronald Jones basically as running back 40s. You know, they're like, well, some days I'm in a mood, just like you mentioned. Is, are we looking at end of the year? Are we looking at beginning of the year? But they're basically in that running back 40 range. And I, I just don't see, I'm certainly not targeting them. And I don't even understand a world in which I am allowing the position to be meaningful to me at that point of drafts. Yeah, I think if you've left it that late and they're your options, then you didn't value running back to begin with. And it's not really a problem you should bother yourself with now. Agreed, agreed. So enough about the running backs. We always talk about running backs. Let's talk about tight ends because this is every year a confounding position for fantasy managers. I feel like every year we talk about the uh, the barren landscape. Uh, two years ago when I was writing the tight ends primer, I likened the drop from the first tier to the bottom tier, uh, that of like a Thanos finger snap. But the position is changing, and I think that's evidenced by, a, like, frankly, Kyle Pitts. Like, when I look at Kyle Pitts and I think about his strange journey 
into the NFL. He's called it himself a strange journey, right? This was a player that was like played quarterback and defense. And his dad was so insistent that he play tight end because he was watching a Travis Kelsey, like kind of turn the position on its head and be used as a receiver and not just be used as a Gronk-esque blocker. And even, you know, the, the difference, Gronk and Kelsey are the same age, believe it or not. And like you saw the, like the evolution between them even. But in 2016, when Kyle Pitts transferred high schools because the coaching staff at his first high school wouldn't let him play tight end, he got a shot the second time. Like he was insistent because his dad was frankly seeing this evolution happen and saying, my son could be a game changer. And, you know, congrats to Pops because... We are consistently looking at Kyle Pitts and calling him a, quote, unicorn. He made NFL history by being the highest drafted tight end in the history of the league. And now he is an equally divisive character in fantasy circles. But I think, forget the argument, we'll get to it in a minute about like whether you should or shouldn't draft him at his ADP. I think the fact that you're seeing these like hyper-athletic mismatches being used all over the field is evidence of the fact that your dad's tight end doesn't exist anymore. And there is more production available at this position than we ever really imagined. It just seems that people like, you know, yourself, myself, who spend probably more time than is normal for well-adjusted people writing and thinking about tight ends. It just seems that for the last few years, we've been like that annoying friend on that we all have who on January the third on January the first every year on Facebook starts posting messages like New Year, new me. That's what we think about the tight end. It's like every year it's like it'll be okay this year. It's not gonna be a toxic waste dump. And then it is. Obviously we've had players in the past with you know athletic freaks like David and Joker and OJ Howard um, was Evan Ingram. These people all came out the same draft class. We're like, this is brilliant. The young, athletic, they're, they're game changers. No, they're not. They're really not. They're nothing. I mean, the, the best tight end who came out of that draft class was in the fifth round, and it was George Kittle. So it's it's what it's going to be. It was like, he can block a bit. He wasn't used in college. Oh, actually, he can do both. Someone like Kyle Pitts, as you say, he's Luke Skywalker. He is the new hope. You know, people thought it would, you know, and Joku and Howard, maybe these people would bring balance to the force, like Anakin to Skywalker. But no, now we have Kyle Pitts, the son, the youngster who can come in and he can do it all and make, you know, he can bring balance. He can make tight end sexy again and not just be a, oh, you know, okay, I'll take someone in the 15th. I'll, Jared Cook will be fine. It'll be all right. Whereas now we have these youngsters and make it a bit more exciting. But I don't, I think it's partially, yes, these youngsters and their athletic profiles, but I also think it's an offense's willingness to use them in creative ways. And, you know, now offensive coordinators are just looking for mismatches any way they can, anywhere they can get them. And so they have these, like Mike Gusecki, remember when he came out, his spark profile is massive. Also, his usage out of the slot I think he had like something like 49% of his uh, snaps last year came out of the slot. That is not typical of the tight ends that we have seen, you know, over the last five years. The problem is there are mismatches everywhere. So you're not seeing consistent usage. There is more. In fact, in 2020, 19 tight ends produced over 100 fantasy points. That hasn't happened since 2016, Gary Barnagier, remember? So we are seeing more production out of tight ends as a whole but we're just not seeing consistent production except for those at the top, except for those like, let's talk about this first elite tier, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. And I think we can give it to Darren Waller, who's, you know, cleared a thousand yards in back-to-back years as well. Like this elite level, the offenses in, in these offenses have unlocked athletic potential on a week-to-week basis within these three players. Yeah, I mean, it helps that, yeah, I mean, Darren Waller came, was a wide receiver, you know, yeah. so he had that receiving background, then bulked up and had enough about him to become a, a good tight end. It helps that he plays in an offense where, you know, no disrespect, me and you, Liz, I think are fourth and fifth on the depth chart at wide receiver. Yeah. Um, maybe you're fourth. I, I, I might just be more special teams. Someone like Kelsey, we know, is going to, you know, get his in the offense because. It sounds a bit churlish, but behind him and Tyree Hill, there's nothing else. Oh, what a horrible problem to have. 
Um, someone like Kittle can do both, but his issue that I have in, in terms of the top tier is that we've said before, the 49ers want to run the ball and that they love what Kittle brings to them in the running game, which is why when they're down on the red zone, they don't throw him the ball. They want him in there to block. He doesn't help himself when he comes up and says, oh, no, I get just as much joy of beating people up on the line as I do catching touchdowns. No, George, no, that, that, that's not cool. You should be demanding the ball. So it's in this year, I think that they're certainly the, the big three, but it's almost that I would have Kelsey and Waller in tier one, and then in maybe tier 1.1 or 1. whatever, whatever your number system, then I have George Kittle because he's so far ahead of the rest of them. But in terms of volume and opportunity, he's behind the top two for me. I don't disagree. I have my top three tight ends ranked the same way with Kelsey, who, by the way, has gone over a thousand yards for five consecutive campaigns. So he has won the consistency award that we're talking about a little bit earlier. And then Waller, who's recorded a target share of at least 24% in back-to-back seasons. And then, yes, Kittle, uh, who does come up with the problem, quote, problem of being such a good run blocker, And you didn't mention the durability concerns that he's had because he is just so brutal. And also, you know, when we talk about the brutal way in that Kittle plays with, it's also all of that yak that when he's healthy, he brings to the table because of it, right? He's averaged 5.6 yards after contact per target over the last three seasons. So we like all of those things. But in terms of rankings, I agree with you. Here's a question, and this was actually posed by my pod producer, John. John, say hello. Thank you very much. He... It has the last pick in a 10-team league, and he is wondering if he should go Travis Kelsey with the 10 pick or the 11 pick, because obviously when it sneaks back, he'll have the first pick of the second round. And he's a little bit worried that, you know, maybe maybe the it's going to run out. Like maybe he won't be, uh, Kelsey won't be as durable this year. Is he due for an injury? Last year, he did play 15 of 16 games, um, though, he managed a full, I mean, the guy doesn't miss any games. I, I think since 2014, he's missed exactly two games. So it's a pretty good run. Yeah. And they weren't injury related. They were just, that was when Big Red decides, no, we'll, we'll rest you all for this week. It is going to happen. We know that Kelsey can't keep putting up thousand yard seasons because A, nobody does. B, no tight end certainly don't. But I think for one more year, I think we could still give Travis the, 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 it does affect his rankings that he shaved the beard off. I don't think that's the <laughs> elephant in the room. It's you just look wrong, Travis. Please just get a fake one until it grows back. Do something. I think it was you know um, another of the host here, Matt Harmon, who said when he shaved it, or he shaved his beard off like once in ten years just to see what it looked like, and immediately regretted it. I'd be stunned if Travis Kelsey didn't. But I think for one more year we can bank on him being the the front runner. But I was just saying. If the Kyle Pitts era begins sooner or later, then hopefully he'll be passing the torch off to him. Yeah, right now, uh, Travis Kelsey will be 32 in October. What's up, Libra love? Um, So I I agree with you. I think he's got one year left him, and I would, if I had the 10th pick or the 11th pick, I would would feel comfortable grabbing Kelsey and just knowing that I've shored up the position. You mentioned Kyle Pitts. He is at the top of the second tier which includes Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews, and TJ Hawkinson. That's at least how I have them ranked. How about you? Yeah, I'd go with that. They're the ones that seem to be, say, the next in line. Um, Mark Andrews, uh, there was that time a few years ago where Zach Ertz, who's much further down this list, um, at the Eagles, it was, oh, we'll have competition for targets this year because they brought in this wide receiver and this person. And then they kept getting injured. And it was just like Zach Ertz, oh, look, I was here all along. That's what it seems to be with Mark Andrews this year. And that, oh, look, Rashad Bateman, he'll help. He's hurt. Oh, right. well, maybe maybe Marquise Brown can stay healthy. No, he can't. So Mark Andrews is, again, it's the only constant in a constantly changing situation. It would help if, you know, he didn't get severe cramps and need to go off in ambulances, as, as happened in practice. I mean, I mean I, I've, I've not had cramp for a while, but I don't know how severe it would have to be that you need to go off in a hospital in, in an ambulance. But for me, this tier, I say, you've got Kyle Pitts, who... Say what you want, you know, is he a tight end? Is he just a big receiver? It doesn't matter. He's going to be tight end on the board. So you're going to have to take him as a tight end. For me, though, TJ Hawkinson is the person I want here because of all the other tight ends. And I mean all of them. He is the one that I can see actually leading the entire position in terms of targets. 
just because his quarterback has nowhere else to go. And, you know, Jared Goff is not, bless him, he's not a gunslinger. So, you know, you take someone who's not a gunslinger and give him mm, trash cans to throw out at wide receiver. We've seen that Jared Goff relies on Yak. You know, I think it was of all the quarterbacks last year, I think most of his receipt, most of his passing yardage came after the catch. So what does he want to do? He wants to get the ball out and put it in the hands of playmakers who want to rack up the yak. That's what TJ Hawkinson can do. And I say, there's no one else to throw to. I mean, Tyrell Williams, we've done that. Am- Amon Rasa Brown, mm, no. So why not just throw the ball at DeAndre Swift, but mostly to TJ Hawkinson, won't score a lot of touchdowns, but if he gets 160 targets, who cares? Well, one of these Lions receivers, we have to imagine, will eventually step up. Uh, it would seem to be Williams in the preseason. The, I think the reason the rest of the receivers in Detroit don't have valuable ADP is because we haven't figured out who it's going to be yet. But that is exactly why TJ Hawkinson is going much higher than the next tier of players because we do trust, especially given the leap that he's made between year one and year two, nearly doubling all of his you know stats and reception, stats, stats and yardage, stats and uh, touchdowns. We saw significant improvement from year one to year two, and we expect with the volume that he'll have in year three, that to continue to ascend. Um, Hawkinson, I agree with you. I'm, I think what I'm hearing, though, is that like you would prefer Hawkinson, even though perhaps you have Pitts or Andrews ranked ahead of him. Hawkinson is going towards the end slash middle of the fifth round. Andrews going at the top of the fifth round and Kyle Pitts going largely in the fourth round. So when we look at the intersection of value and opportunity, we like Hawkinson the most. Yes, I think Kyle Pitts could be amazing this year. I mean, yeah. it, it could be, you know, the best tight end season of the 21st century. It could be the best tight end season, rookie tight end season of all time. It could be in between those two things. It could be less than those things. I just think I'd like to see it happen on someone else's fantasy roster this year so I can enjoy it vicariously. At his price, I'd rather someone else enjoyed it, but I will take Hawkinson at his and then maybe next year we can reassess. I am a believer in Pitts. I have waffled back and forth because, you know, you look at the data and like, well, tight ends don't produce in their first year, blah, 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 blah. Except as Dalton and Mario pointed out on a pod earlier this week, <laughs> Pitts is not a tight end. He is the wide receiver, too, in a high-volume passing offense. And we expect that Matt Ryan, who, you know, is not... I don't know, he's certainly not a fantasy stud anymore, but offers perhaps one of the highest floors, given the system that he's working in, is going to connect with him on a regular basis. But I think the problem with Pitts is the fact that he's all of that upside, all of that optimism, all of that, to quote you, new hopeness, as you said, is being baked into his ADP. So when you say like, well, he's going in the fourth round, like let's contextualize that a little bit so that we know who else is available around the same time. Would you rather have Kyle Pitts or would you rather have Adam Thielen? Would you rather have Kareem Hunt if you're trying to, you know, hammer the running back position earlier? Would you maybe even want to go quarterback and Lamar Jackson, depending on your scoring system right there? Like that seems to be the issue is that, in the fourth round, you only have three starters kind of figured out. You could move to a ceiling play, but you could also wait like one round later and get someone that you're feeling pretty confident about. You know, I, th- I think that to me is the one, if Kyle Pitts was going in, if I could get him in the fifth round, boom. But it's hard for me to take him in the fourth. I think as well, what we should consider when we are talking about Kyle Pitts and, you know, if He's not, a, you know, he's not a proper tight end. He's, he's just the, the he's the the other receiver. The Falcons have so many vacated targets. They're not going to be good. Sweeping statement, I know. They're not going to be good this year. They have a terrible defense. They've got all these vacated targets. So Carol Pitts could get an awful lot of work. Yeah. But there's that many targets vacated that Hayden Hurst is going to get work as well. And Hayden Hurst, I mean, he had 87 targets last year. And he had 56 receptions, 571 yards, and six touchdowns. And he was a borderline tight end one himself. 
if he sees more work, I mean, Hayden Hurst is going as the tight end 25 in ADP now. I'm okay, not... but Neil, on the real, are you drafting Hayden Hurst personally? No, no. Okay. Like, personally, no one's no. actually drafting Hayden I mean, you make the point, but I mean, I feel like more actionable than Hayden Hurst would be like, oh, I'll take a flyer on Russell Gage late. Or Alameda de Zacchaeus, sure. if that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, one of those slot options, right? There are a ton of uh, targets vacated. We're expecting Pitts to own that space, but I, I hear your point. I, I just also don't think that... I, I think what we're doing is we're waiting to see who else behind Pitts could be a viable regular fantasy option in Atlanta, and I have a feeling that answer won't bear out until we see week-to-week regular season action, and then they will become waiver-wire targets. Yeah. I mean, if Matt Ryan could just throw, you know, 20 passes a game to Ridley and everything else to Pitts, that'll be fine. I wouldn't yeah. complain. I don't think many people would complain. Well, the other wide receivers, but as we said, who cares about mm. them? So I think if, if, if Matt Ryan, you know, friend that he is to all of us, if he could just do that, that'd be great. I don't think he will. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's move to the third tier. Interesting thing about the third tier is now <laughs> there's a big gap. Noah Fant is usually the next player selected, but he's going two to three rounds later. And this is kind of the biggest glut. I'm just going to rattle off names. I anticipate that our audience is smart enough to know who all of these players are. You got Noah Fant. You got Dallas Goddard, who, by the way, didn't have a lot of run in the preseason. Zerika Ertz cut into his volume. We don't know what that means yet. We're not going to overreact, but it's worth noting. Logan Thomas, I'm high on Logan Thomas. I like him in Washington. Robert Tunyon, I think probably due for a touchdown regression. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, Tyler Higby, Mike Gusecki, Irv Smith Jr., Jonu Smith, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, and then your boy, we've already talked about way too much, Zach Ertz. It's, it's as you say, it's a, it's, it's a weird group because you're looking at things, there's some talent there. But it's as you say, it's the drop-off from the pits. Andrews Hawkinson down to this. It's literally almost like everyone, we've got to get into this club or this restaurant. Oh, it's closed. Well, there's one right next door to it. Oh, we'll, we'll go for a walk and come back. That, that's what it's like with the, with the tight ends. You know, there's the glut to get one of the early ones. And then people are just a bit like, I'd rather have a wide receiver or maybe a later running back. All these players all have potential, but as you say, they all have significant question marks. I like Logan Thomas. There's a you know wonderful story you know in the Athletic, which I hope I can mention um, about his his rise as it were you know his from where he was after he was drafted to where he is now. Fantastic. I like rooting for players with that kind of, kind of story. Also, I don't like for, what for Washington worth, players. I mean, also I just wanted to add. I, I like that you mentioned Logan Thomas's story, and I think you're alluding to his conversion from a quarterback to a tight end, putting up incredible career numbers last year but that kind of um story that type of player is also very much in line with Washington's vibe this year which leads me I mean I'm not like predicating all of my analysis on this but when you bring it up it's like okay well which of these guys am I anticipating a regression out of maybe a slight target regression out of Thomas because I don't actually I mean maybe you could argue that because of some new additions but we're anticipating that Scott Turner is going to stay lit as the OC and that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to continue to be aggressive and like the like Thomas fits into this offense both with his vibe his story and his on the field prowess in a perfect way which only makes me want to continue to be high on him yeah I say we he saw last year that with the sorry uh, sorry, parade of course I've actually put out in Washington that he was, you know, he, he was targeted downfield, but he's being targeted downfield by people with pea shooters for arms. Yeah. Whereas I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying Ryan Fitzpatrick is Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes when it comes to arm strength, but he still gives it a bloody go. You know, he's still going to look for people downfield. So someone like Thomas, you know, he didn't. I think he only scored was it six touchdowns. I think that might go up because Washington didn't score that many offensive touchdowns, and we expect that offense to be better now that the pieces in it are better. So maybe Thomas can take another leap. Whereas you look at some of the other players, you do worry that is last year as good as they're going to be for a while, and that they're all going to come back down to earth. Whereas, as I say, Thomas is the one that you look at and think, you could do more. Whereas the others are like, "Mm, okay, you did less. What do you think about Tyler Higby? He is currently the 12th tight end off the board, and he has an ADP of 108. 
I like Tyler Higby. I never used to because I thought he was throttling Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett, you know, I've been a big fan since he came out. That's one of the few people I wrote up as a rookie. And I think I've been okay on, you know, everyone else. I mean, I thought Donnell Pumphrey was going to be the second coming of Darren Sproles, which is why I'm not a talent evaluator. Uh, But Tyler Higby, if you look over the last three years, what he has done on the Rams when Gerald Everett hasn't played, that's a tight end one. You know, if you carry that throughout the whole course of the season, that's a top tier tight end. He, like Logan Thomas, has a significant quarterback upgrade. The whole offense is going to be upgraded. They might have to run, uh, sorry, pass the ball more than they would have liked because they lost Cam Akers. So, again, he's someone that you look at and think, okay, you've been inconsistent. You've had a great run back in 2019, the end of the season. You've been mostly inconsistent, but is this the year with this quarterback that you elevate and you go into that top tier? Or is it just going to be that Matt Stafford's going to feed Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and he will have his weeks? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I think he's going to have his weeks and that's why he's, you know, that in that bottom tight end one category. But his efficiency metrics, to your point, like I don't think he's a standout talent, but I think he is on a talented offense. And you make an excellent point about Cam Akers that I hadn't even factored in. So that's spot on. And when you just look at Tyler Higby's efficiency when Everett hasn't been available, I mean, all of his his yards per reception, his yards per target, they're all in the top 10. And I feel like there's he's just, it's not going to be exciting, right? Like he's probably going to get you, what, three to five catches a week, 40 to 60 yards a week, the occasional touchdown. and But that is consistent tight end production. You're going to get that from him on a regular basis versus these like goose egg weeks, you know? As I say, a tight end, we could, it's the only position where you could have someone catch one pass for one yard, but as long as it's a touchdown, they're a top performer that week. How are you evaluating the pair of Patriots tight ends, both of whom have been banged up respectively over this preseason? I thought going in that I would prefer Jonu Smith because I yeah. thought he'd be the the move tight end, as it were. He'd yeah. get the more, more opportunities. But then the more I re- read and the more I looked into it, I thought if there's going to be one of these two who's going to see the highest snap share, it might actually be Hunter Henry. And, you know, while we know that Bill Belichick loves both these players, it's just that image of the end of that game last season where basically Belichick wanted a room with him and Hunter Henry to be alone together uh, after that game. Just that stuck in my head. So I love John and Smith. I so say he came out the same year as Gerald Everett, was another player I've been very high on for a long time. But I just think Hunter Henry's skill set and that deep-seated love his coach has for him, I would give him the tie over Jonu. Of course, if one of these two gets injured, then the other one, the sky potentially is the limit. But I don't like predicting injuries, especially with two players who have had significant injury history. I 100% agree with this, Tig. Right now, Jonu Smith is dealing with a little bit of an ankle issue. Hunter Henry had a shoulder issue earlier in camp. I I think we're all in a consensus here. Like I keep flip-flopping them, frankly, in my rankings, depending on which reports I've read that day, I think there's a good argument for both of them. And ultimately, though, they're going to cannibalize each other. And if you are drafting one, you are doing it late in the hopes that the other one won't make his way to the field, which is not fun and not, you know, part of what I want to do on a weekly basis. Yeah, it smacks of drafting out of fear, which you know, yeah. we, no one wants to do that. We want to draft out of delirium, but not fear. Delirium is perfect. Speaking of delirium, let's go to the final tier. These are the darling dart throws, if you will. Adam Troutman, Jared Cook, Gerald Everett, and Blake Jarwin. Now, I've seen you tweet about Blake Jarwin. You mentioned Gerald Everett. He was on my Sleepers to Target article last week. I'm very high on Everett. Troutman, I feel like, was someone I was talking about. I've been talking about since since the Saints traded up to draft him uh, in... 2020, and we had to wait a minute for Jared Cook and Emmanuel Sanders and Josh Hill to leave for this volume opportunity to happen. But also Troutman's like a really good run blocker. So I don't know, you know, you have to imagine that he's going to see a bunch of targets, um, even though he's a good run blocker. But of this, of this like cadre, of this collection of darling dart throws, who are you, who do you find yourself targeting regularly? It's like Jarwin. Uh, really? because, yes and that's because I was also doing it last year and then he got oh. hit um, I just think that 
the offense that they had last year was, you know, split it into two parts. There was the before Dalton and there was the after Dalton. Um, yeah. So there was, when Dak Prescott was there, Dak, um, they were targeting the tight end, 17% of their plays. That tight end was Dalton Schultz. Now, bless him, Dalton Schultz was solid. He put up, you know, occasional numbers. He was a he was a streamer at the position and one of the very few who remained streamer worthy because he never really got he got picked up and then dropped by everyone. Mm. Blake Jarwin is an upgrade on Dalton Schultz. And I, if anyone wants to argue with me, that's fine. You're wrong, but please argue with me. And I just think that that offense is, it just looks like it can support so many people. But the defense can't be as bad as it was last year. You know, he says. I mean, I'm, I'm an Eagles fan. I hope it is, uh, but I, I don't think it will be. And I just think that we saw that even last year with the three wide receivers, with Amari, with CeeDee Lamb, with Michael Gallup, the tight end was still productive and valuable. And I just like that everyone seems to have forgotten that they were all gushing over Blake Jarwin a year ago. And I say, look how late he's going now. It's, it's yeah, I mean, almost you perfect. That. that you, I love that this is the guy that you decided to highlight. Um, he is returning from, I believe he tore his ACL September 2nd. So he's almost a year out from the ACL tear uh, from last year. Dalton Schultz also banged up right now with an ankle injury. I don't suspect that to, you know, carry over well into the season. But it does mean that Jarwin's rehab from the ACL issue has been fast-tracked and he saw a good amount of time in a preseason action. He is right now the tight end 23. He has an ADP of 219 and... You talked about the 17%. It's funny, I ran the same stats myself in the first over the first four weeks before week five, obviously, when Dak went out. He targeted the tight end 15% of the time, which means there should be plenty of opportunity for Blake Jarwin, who is an afterthought in drafts right now. Yeah, it's as if people want to get, you know, they want Dallas. They all want piece of this offense, but they all want C.D. Lamb, who apparently, you know, is now on his way to Canton just because of what he's doing in hard knocks. I've not seen this week's episode yet, so I can't really comment. We know that Amari Cooper has been mustered at home, at home games, especially with Dak Prescott. We know that Michael Gallup might be getting better used this year. We know Ezekiel Elliott's there. We know all this. But the smart of us know that Blake Jarwin signed a big contract last year, and they want to use him. And they wanted to use him so much that they just went, oh, just force-feed Dalton Schultz into that role. But it'll do. And that's what they want to do with Blake Jarwin, I think. But you you make another excellent point because we have question marks about Dak's health right now. He does have this this sore arm. He's still he's not going to play in the in the second preseason game against the Texans. They are easing him back. This might be more serious than we any of us want to believe right now. And the thing about Blake Jarwin, as we saw with Dalton Schultz last year, is that there will be enough opportunities, and he is perhaps more quarterback proof than the rest of the pass catching options. Yeah, I say we. I mean, I don't know who it would be Ben Denucci who come in. Then he's going to look for people close to the line of scrimmage to get the ball out of his hands, so he doesn't get smacked around. And that will be Jarwin. It's certainly not going to be Gallup. Uh, you would hope it wouldn't be Ceedee Lamb. Might be Zeke. Uh, but I say Jarwin is with the player that get him in his hands. Let him let him make magic by himself because he's he is you know he's a talented athletic specimen. And you know we're just a year. You know we were robbed of it last year. So let's enjoy it this year at a cheaper price. I, I love this. I mean, the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast podcast with Neil Dutton giving you Blake Jarwin takes. You cannot get that anywhere else. For myself, I will just say that I have been picking a lot of Gerald Everett, primarily because, as I believe you would agree, he's not only a talented player, but also he is reuniting in Seattle with Shane Waldron, his former position coach in Los Angeles. And there's an opportunity for him to be third in targets behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, even if even if Russ is just allowed to simmer, let alone cook. So I, I like Gerald Everett. What are you? Are, do you have a, a Fursker take at all? I know Dalton Del Don, my colleague, really really loves Anthony Fursker. Do you have one at all? See, I like Fursker, but it just worries me that um, ju- ju- judging by the preseason usage, he's only going to play when they're in 11 personnel. And I'm not sure how often they're going to be in 11 personnel because, you know, they love two, two tight ends. And if you've got Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown, if you've got Julio Jones and AJ Brown, unless they've signed for Antonio Brown while we've been recording and none of us have read it, I don't think there's much, you know, inspiration to say, now we need a third wide receiver on the field. You don't, you'll be fine. 
Um, so I like Ferguson. He's he's been efficient when called upon, as long as you don't call upon him very often. And what about, I mentioned Adam Troutman and how he's a great run blocker. In fact, I believe he was PFF's highest graded run blocker last year, which is pretty impressive as a rookie, but we don't necessarily love from a fantasy perspective. There was a report from Luke Johnson of the New Orleans Times Picayune who said that Jawan Johnson is more involved in the offense since transitioning to tight end. Do you think he could be sneakily stealing some of Troutman's thunder? Well, Troutman, I say, was the tight end one in my points per block uh, league last year. Um, it's a worry because we saw last year that, you know, when Troutman came in, Jared Cook was the one who was going in and catching the, t- the touchdowns. And this Jawan Johnson is a converted wide receiver. And it seems that they've brought him in to do the exact same. So Adam Troutman smacks me of the player that we all want to be a thing. But it's probably mm. not going to be because, like George Kittle, he has that. He's been cursed with competency at more than one skill. And not knowing, right? Like, he comes from Dayton, such a small school converted quarterback. Like, you would never imagine that that was the skill set that (laughs) would provide this awesome run-blocking ability. Um, I don't like to end negatively, but I do want to hear who who your tight end fade is or who your potential bust is for 21. You know, I'll stay close to home because I say, you know, I, I, you know, I like misery and I like self-inflicted misery. It seems. So I'm, I thought it was going to be a huge year for Dallas Goddard uh, because he was the, you know, he was the most secure pass catching option on a team where all the other options had significant question marks. I mean, Devonta Smith, we don't know what he's going to be like. Jalen Rager was, I'll be polite, God awful <laughs> as a rookie. Um, we, You know, they want to run the ball, but if the defense was going to be bad, they were going to have to pass. Dallas Goddard was quite efficient with Jalen Hurts last year, and Goddard has stepped up in the past when Zach Hurts has missed time. Well, what's happened? Jalen Rager looks like a man reborn, and Zach Hurts is still there. I mean, I love Zach Hurts. He's caught the winning touchdown when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, which the Eagles did. I'd just like to remind everyone they did it. It was, <laughs> it's, it's, it's still a happy moment for me. The speculation that are they just showcasing Hurts so they can trade him? Well, if anyone loves a trade, it's Howie Roseman. But... As I say this, he's still there. And that's going to hamper Dallas Goddard as well. Goddard, again, is another one of these people that he's good at both. I'm not saying he's excellent at both, but he's good enough at both that he might get asked to run block more than we like. So where he's going in drafts, it's an awful risk because he could be a top five player or he could be outside the top 10 or anything in between. And that scares me when ideally we'd like something we can hang our hat on at this position. You're you're making an excellent point. I'm wondering if you are reacting some as well to the preseason, the week one preseason action where Goddard was only on the field for five, I think, of Hertz's 10 snaps, but Ertz played seven of those 10 snaps. Or is the answer just like there's still muddiness and why bother yourself? Why bother attaching yourself to this offense when you can when there's so many, as we already discussed, options available around the same time? I think so. It goes back to this time that when I used, I used to work in a cinema uh, or a movie theater, sorry, uh, to the Americans listening, and I worked on the ice cream counter. It was the Haagen-Dazs counter. And the number of people who would come in on a Friday night to the Haagen-Dazs counter where the ice cream was ridiculously expensive and buy vanilla ice cream when every other flavor was there, but they bought vanilla. And it's like, why are you doing this to yourself? So maybe I'm thinking, looking and thinking, I could have anything. I could moan about anything, but I'll moan about Dallas Goddard. I, I love the way your brain works. I am happy to end any show talking about ice cream, by the way. So thank you very much, Neil. What are you working on that you would like to promote? Please share with us. Well, I say I'm on Twitter at NDutton13, where I talk absolute rubbish about a whole variety of topics, not just American football. Um, at the moment, I'm working on pieces for Rotoviz. Um, I did a, an article about tight ends, uh, about one to target in each of the first 10 rounds, if you're that way persuaded. You know, um, I'm going to be doing some more division betting previews for number five. I've done a few of them. I like doing those. And during the season, he says, looking down at the shirt he's wearing, for 4 for 4 football, I'm going to be a scout, weekly scouting report writer for the LA Chargers. So I'm looking forward to that because I get to write about your co-host, Austin Eckler. 
I didn't know that. You're like breaking this news right now. I did not know. Talk, wait, talk to me more about that. What is, what is, how are you writing? You're just writing their news blurbs every week? Uh, but I think, he says, I'll have to check this, but, you know, all the teams have their reporters, you know, uh, so if the player is like in the top 12 of the quarterbacks that week, you write the scout reports for them. Ah. And it goes on. I, say, I think it is blurb uh, related, but I have done something like that in, in the past with other teams on other sites. And I, I do enjoy focusing on one team because when I have too many things to think about, my brain goes to horrible, horrible places. And no like melted ice that. cream. I like understand. Melted, like <laughs> melted expensive ice cream as well. I am so excited for you. That's awesome. And by the way, I hope you are, and I expect you will be quite busy as those players on the Chargers are um, anticipated to be regularly appearing in the top, you know, top echelons of fantasy production. So thank you. And thank you for mentioning the new show, uh, Eckler's Edge, that I will be doing with Austin Eckler every single week. Neil, you are such a treat. I love chatting with you. Thank you for being up in the middle of the night while we record this, by the way. A true testament to your commitment. It's an absolute pleasure. And anytime um, you, you or any of your colleagues want to talk to me, I say I'm usually awake uh, because I'm an insomniac. So, you know, and it, this used to be the age, oh, the, club, the nightclubs are still open, whereas now it's just like, is it too early for coffee or too late for coffee? No, I'll just try and go to sleep. <laughs> well, I love that. And side note, happy birthday to your co-host on your Waxing Lyrical podcast, Paul. I'm wishing him the best. You can follow Neil on Twitter at ndutton13, and you can follow me at LizLoza underscore FF. For two more weeks, Andy Barons will be taking your fantasy football questions alive on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can watch on Twitter, at Yahoo Fantasy, Facebook, or YouTube. That is it for now. We will see you then. And we're out. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.